When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. We got the whole crew with us today. Monday evening, as we get ready for another SEC game for the Bulldogs, Georgia, going on the road for the first time on Saturday, and we play in Auburn at 3:30 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff. Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolf with me here on this evening. Start with you, Kip. Uh, we are getting ready to go back into conference play, ready for a. Uh, uh, it looks like a pretty interesting game on Saturday. Just what's the buildup been like for you so far this week? Yeah, I think we're this is where we, we find out who they are, you know. Uh, hitting the road for, you know, a, a true road setting as well. Uh, I, I don't know, uh, Hugh Freeze may disagree, but this is actually a pretty heated rivalry. Um, you know, a little bit of animosity between these two fan bases. Very spirited. I think you kind of underplayed it today a little bit, but uh this is a big game i think we're, we're kind of still trying to figure out uh about this this georgia team and i think the schedule played a huge role in that but uh, i think this is it this is where we talk about uh discovering uh, what the identity is for this georgia team but also just whether or not they're any good this season ben how about you uh, uh like me we're getting ready uh to go back to Auburn, place we spent a lot of time. But uh, how's the buildup been this week as we get ready for this matchup? Yeah, this will actually be my first time back in Auburn since I left, Jordan. Um, but we uh, we really don't know what Georgia is yet, even though I think some of the dialogue around how the first four games have played out has been very overstated. But I, I think that we still, until a team goes on the road and especially on the road in SEC play into a hostile environment, I really don't think you know what you're getting. And Kirby Smart alluded to it. He'd prefer to not be waiting five weeks into the year to be getting that first true road test. But again, we'll find out on Saturday how Carson Beck responds, how the defense that hasn't maybe been as ironclad as it's been in, in the last few seasons, you know, how does it respond on the road in a tough environment? So again, I think we're a few days away now from really finding out whether this Georgia football team is who we thought they were. Yeah, I think we are definitely going to learn a lot about this team on Saturday. But let's wrap up our thoughts from this past Saturday. Georgia winning 49-21. Really dominant effort in the second half, particularly that third quarter against UAB. Um, I'll start with you, Kip, and you did the uh, post-game podcast discussing this game. Um, Has anything stuck with you from how that game played out or anything that leaves you with questions as we get ready for Georgia to return to SEC play? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what this offense would be like uh, if not for Brock Bowers. You know, he seems like just uh, 
he's kind of the safety net uh, for, for Georgia, uh, a player that I guess had kind of gotten forgotten for a couple of weeks as he showed he was mortal, but uh, has reminded everyone the last couple of games that he's still an elite player. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can just kind of throw him the ball near the line of scrimmage and just go ahead and move move the chains. And so that kind of tells me, well, what else does Georgia have on offense? You know, who are the other guys that are going to allow, uh, you know, the the this offense to kind of unlock its potential? Um, you know, do they do they have a dynamic run, running back? Uh, is Dijon Edwards going to be that guy? Uh, is, you know, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Sane, and Ra Ra Thomas, or, you know, are they going to be the uh, the guys who can get, consistent separation or do they really need lab McConkey to get back in order to, to kind of have that explosive offense that they've kind of lacked so far I'm still kind of waiting to see that and yeah I mean then, then on the defensive side uh the that defensive front you're going to need to get a, just a lot more consistent play from those guys uh than, than what you kind of saw I think that was kind of the thing that stood out uh UAB was was able to you know just uh, move the ball a lot more efficiently than than they should have overall in that game. And uh, I think, uh, you know, your linebacker play just has to be a little bit more explosive to the football. Uh, and, you know, if this defensive front is going to be the type that just kind of uh, takes on blocks and, and opens up those run lanes, and you're going to have guys who can recognize that quickly enough and, and attack them and, and get to the ball before they're able to get chunks of yardage downfield. So, you know, we're kind of – still dealing with uh, Georgia playing with its food a little bit, uh, you know, whether that's true or whether this is just a true representation of this team. And that's why we're, we're just kind of looking this weekend to, to learn a lot more about what this roster brings to the table. Ben, how about you? Uh, anything that sticks with you from UAB or, or lingering questions that we may have the answer to on Saturday? Really my takeaway from, and I just got done watching the UAB game as well before we hop back on here. And I mean, the last five possessions that Carson Beck was playing quarterback were really efficient possessions. I mean, they were pretty good on third down. He stepped up and made a few plays with his legs. He's not going to burn you, obviously, but he made a few plays with his legs where he needed it to extend possession. So I think that he's coming into his own. I think what remains to be seen is, what does he look like when you go on the road? Like we've already said, I think the bigger question or area of concern, I don't know if it's a long-term area of concern, but I think it's an area of concern that it happened to begin with was the score to end the first half against UAB. That's two weeks in a row. It's very uncharacteristic. I think I might've even said on here last week, I don't see them giving up third and 16 screenplays for touchdowns very much again this season. I don't see them giving up end of half, you know, sort of two minute situation touchdowns much, and then they go ahead and do it the following week. So, you know, not an ideal situation defensively. I think that a lot of that can, and people are going to get annoyed by this, but I think a lot of that can be chalked up to UAB execution. I think if you go back and look at it, I think that they executed some things well. Obviously, Georgia always wants to be able to clean some things up, and people will point to it and say, oh, it was UAB. If it could happen against UAB, what would what's going to happen when you're playing Florida or Tennessee or, you know, SEC championship game, playoff game, whatever that might be. But that's not exactly how it works. I mean, I think that UAB did execute some things pretty well in some of those situations. And Kirby Smart brought it up today. I think he did them a little bit of a favor calling that timeout gave them a little bit of extra juice maybe to give a little bit more effort to try and score a touchdown on that possession than they were going to going into the start of it. 
Yeah, I think Alex Mortensen, I wrote about this in my rewatch, did a really good job just calling that game for UAB. A lot of misdirection, and uh, Jared Zeno, I thought, looked pretty good. I mean, he was able to keep some plays alive. Uh, I will say to that point, that, that's where what hangs with me and sticks with me. I really didn't think there was any chance UAB was going to score 21 on Georgia. Uh, and I would say, you know, you could argue 14 because they had the short field after the um, the fumble, maybe you don't want to hold that against the defense, you know, with Makai Muse fumble and that. Uh, but, yeah, definitely surprised to see that. Definitely has been hit on. Um, surprised that they were able to score there right before half. I mean, not only uh, did you see them take advantage <laughs> of Georgia deciding to call that timeout trying to get the ball back, but, I mean, they, they moved the ball down the field and did it pretty quickly, and I'm sure that that did not stick well with the Georgia defense. You can you can bet it did not stick well with Kirby Smart, and uh, it will be interesting to see if we see that pattern continue because uh, that drive by South Carolina in that game two weeks ago, that was the point where uh, us up in the press box were kind of looking at each other like, Georgia may be in trouble. And I'm sure, you know, that you know, everybody was kind of – uh, keeping cool heads and, and getting ready to make plays in the second half, but that had to catch guys off guard by going, you know, oh my God, you know, we turn around and all of a sudden we're down 11. Um, it's something Georgia can't afford to continue happening. And uh, Saturday will be a good test to see if they uh, clean that up and, and are able to finish those half strong. I will want, I want to throw this out too. It's not just about the UAB game, but I was just looking back at it. Georgia has done, has had 51 defensive possessions so far this season and has only given up points on seven of them. Six of them have been touchdowns. So I think that that's part of it where it feels like when they've gotten into scoring situations, they have given up some touchdowns. They haven't been as great in the red area as they've been maybe in recent seasons, but looking at it too, I mean, one of the touchdowns was off of a muse muff. Um, you know, there was a 12 play garbage time touchdown week one, 15 play field goal drive, 10 play opening drive touchdown, nine play end of half touchdown last two weeks ago, and then an eight play drive. So again, you're having to really sustain drives to score on this Georgia defense. And that is something that I think is similar to what we've seen from the last two Georgia defenses, that if you are going to get in the end zone, you're going to have to work your tail off to get down the field and score to do it. And that still is the case, even though maybe they've been a little bit more susceptible to touchdown drives once guys have gotten there. Well, going from one team from Alabama that Georgia has played to another, they're getting ready to play on Saturday, looking at Georgia, getting ready to play at Auburn, what promises to be a very loud Jordan-Hare Stadium on Saturday afternoon. I want to talk a little bit about the interviews we had today, what we heard from Kirby Smart, Brock Bowers, Jamon Dumas-Johnson. Uh, starting with Jamon, he was the first guy up. I thought he was really honest. Uh, you know, someone asked him about how he would evaluate his play so far, and he, he said pretty much average. Um, said that he felt like he needed to improve, but he did point out, you know, hadn't had a ho whole lot of action, had, you know, a lot of plays, um, you know, not in his area, but, uh, you know, I thought he was pretty candid about what he wants to do and what he wants to improve on. Um, it was pretty funny, and I don't know how many people jumped on this. Uh, Zach Klein uh, asked uh, Jamon about the rivalries and, and ranking the different rivalries, and he had Auburn second, and he had Georgia Tech first, and, and so someone asked about it later. And made it clear that uh, that was that was kind of a coach smart ranking that, that uh, Kirby does not like losing to Georgia Tech, and I have to imagine that very first game he coached Georgia in against Georgia Tech probably had a lot to do with the way that was ranked. Um, Brock Bowers, outside of uh, shout out Connor Riley over there at Dog Nation, asking uh, Brock Bowers about the Travis Kelsey uh, Taylor Swift news. That that was definitely uh, what we were all wondering. 
Um, I, I asked him about dealing with the noise and how you get young guys prepared. And, you know, he, he really harped on how important that was. And I think Brockton said that they blew out one of the speakers last week uh, at the at practice in the indoor, uh, you know, getting ready for that. But that's going to be a huge thing. And, uh, you know, transitioning to Kirby, you know, he was asked what he thought Carson would be able to do, how Carson would handle that road environment. I think that's kind of your million-dollar question going into this game. He's never started a game on the road, um, obviously never had to endure a road SEC environment like this as a starter. And Kirby said, you know, you, you can't really – you can only prepare so much. You know, he's going to have to go out there essentially and do it. Um, and I, I think that that's sort of the, the tell of this game. You know, I think Georgia – is clearly a much more talented team. Uh, the last thing I saw was maybe uh, Georgia about a 15-point favorite. Um, you know, seeing the the way Georgia has played these last few weeks, see the struggles Auburn has had, I don't think anyone looks at this game and sees it as uh, a pretty equal matchup, a pretty even matchup. Uh, but you have to factor in what it's like playing on the road in the SEC. And, uh, you know, Auburn, you know, and Ben, you can speak to this too. Uh, some of those years, especially with games like the Iron Bowl, when that was played in Auburn, you, you gave five or six points in Auburn's favor, no matter how the talent differential was, uh, because of just how hard it is to play there and, and how easy it is to make mistakes that keep teams like Auburn, who may not have as much talent, in games. And I think George is very well aware of that, something they got to prepare for all week. And as Kirby explained, it's not something they just started preparing for. They have had this in mind. Uh, going back to the spring, I mean, practicing, making sure guys understand how to communicate and to try to avoid those mistakes that can let a lesser team hang around in a ball game. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Hare is a tough place to play. I will say most of the teams that when we look back and we say, man, these, you know, those were tough games and Jordan Hare definitely swayed the point spread a little bit in this, these games. In most of those seasons, I would say Auburn had pretty good football teams. I'm not 100% certain that Auburn has pretty good football team right now i think that we'll probably as much as we'll learn about this georgia team we'll probably learn as much about this auburn team because if georgia handles them the way that i think that georgia will then i think we learn that auburn's probably not that great of a football team if they hang around in this one maybe hugh freeze has his guys going a little bit better than i thought that they did but um you know i think that coming off of the texas a&m game i don't think things are going to get any prettier for auburn going forward Kip, uh, any thoughts just generally about what we've heard today and, and just your thoughts initially as we go into Auburn week and what Georgia's getting ready to do? Yeah, I mean, they definitely need to take advantage of, of an offense that on the planes of this. I mean, right now the, they're playing with spare parts. Let's be honest here. Uh, I think they're still haven't found their quarterback play. And I think that's, I mean, honestly, that's, right where you have to look at as far as the key where uh, their struggles against Texas A&M kind of came to the forefront. You know, they were able to kind of get away with it earlier in the season, but you kind of saw it against Cal as well. Um, you know, the offensive line probably got a lot of blame uh, from fans. Oh, I, I think it was what, six sacks, 15 tackles for loss, but uh, they just are not there at the quarterback position. And so for Georgia, how do you take advantage of that? You know, not letting them get to a rhythm, not letting uh, that offense find some consistency. Uh, it's going to be about probably making sure that those quarterbacks are, are not comfortable at all because you kind of saw it from Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford wasn't much better that, you know, uh, if there was any sign of pressure that it kind of broke down. And I don't think it was really, you know, 
the, the receivers and him were not on the same page throughout the game, but he was making a lot of the wrong reads. And you got to, again, you got to take advantage of that by forcing turnovers. And that's really going to be uh, what Georgia's defense is going to need to do because you're not still not sure what you're going to get offensively for Georgia. You know, you're again, we're going to talk about this environment. They got to have a game plan that doesn't let them place uh, start slow. I mean, that's been it. The first half of Georgia football has not been an enjoyable experience uh, for this fan base at all through four games. And so that has to be the game plan of uh, not starting slow. It's simple, but you're going to have to go in, go in there and take advantage of your possessions. We've talked about, you know, ha- whether they have fewer possessions of the new clock rules or not. You have to take advantage of each one you have on the road. So you can go ahead and and put your offense in, in, in good situations, but also just allow that defense to put some pressure on, again, what w- looks like an Auburn offense. It's just it, – it's not – they're not on the same page. And, uh, you know, they're, they are not finding success pushing the ball down the field. And so that's kind of going to be the key for this. And, and I think really uh, Brian Petit's probably going to be the, the guy that they kind of lean on a little bit more now that they, they have a running back out as well in Damari Austin. So uh, he's a guy that Georgia has to be prepared for. All-American return guy transfer that, that looks really explosive and was one of the few bright spots for them in that loss to Texas A&M. Definitely, and it's something that's worth following this week is just what is said about the quarterbacks because there's an idea that maybe they do switch things up. They've got Holden Gurner, a guy from Savannah that um, has made plays as a high schooler and showed flashes in the time he's been at Auburn, so we'll be sure to monitor that going forward. Uh, to get ready for that Georgia-Auburn game on Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern time, I'm going to have Auburn Undercovers Nathan King. We're going to do the preview podcast on Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure everybody come on and uh, tune in for that one. But we're going to take a quick break and talk a little bit of recruiting news for Georgia and then UGA Hoops. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back, everybody. Well, going back to some news that we got on Sunday afternoon, four-star wide receiver Nye Carr decommitted from Georgia. Um, definitely a, a pretty considerable loss for Georgia with the talent that the Colquitt County wide receiver has. Uh, I'll throw it to you, Ben. What do you make of the news about Nye? And if there is anything that Georgia's going to do in response, uh, what do you expect to see? Definitely a loss. I mean, there's no positive way to spin Nykar no longer being in Georgia's class. I mean, I just went and saw him a few weeks ago, and, I mean, he's a very good route runner. I mean, he's one of those types of wide receivers where when you look at every aspect of his game, he's just pretty solid at every aspect of playing the wide receiver position. He's not going to blow you away with his size. He's not going to be the fastest guy, you know, on, on every team, but – he is going to do everything that you ask wide receiver to do really, really well. So I think from a football standpoint, definitely a loss. This was also the longest standing commitment in Georgia's class. He'd been committed to Georgia longer than anybody else as well. So a little bit of a, 
you know, I guess, hey, Georgia been recruiting you for a really long time, a little bit of a ego hit there just in terms of how much time and resourcing Georgia had put into recruiting and holding on to NICAR. Um, in terms of what it means for NICAR's recruitment, you know, I think Florida State, Miami, Auburn are the teams that I would look at most closely. Um, I think I've seen maybe other, elsewhere. I've not reported this. I haven't seen this at 24-7, but maybe that Colorado is a team that he might take a visit to as well. I haven't been able to confirm that yet either. I would really look at Miami first and foremost and then Florida State and Auburn. But Georgia's going to continue to try and recruit him. I know that you know his him and his family do think very highly of Georgia. I wrote about it today. They think very highly of Mike Bobo as well. So I think Georgia will try to re recruit him until the end. I always think whenever you're this close to signing day and there's a decommitment for how long he had been committed to Georgia, the chances of regaining that commitment are not very likely just in terms of historically how these recruitments turn out. That's not to say that Georgia's not going to give it a shot because as we've talked about a bunch on this podcast in the past, when Georgia wants a guy in their class, they're going to recruit him till the end if they think that they've got a chance whatsoever at getting him. So they're going to do that with Nikar. As far as wide receivers, I don't know. Kip, I'm, I'm a little bit miffed at this point in terms of what the wide receiver class is going to look like. I mean, I think right now priority number one is holding on to Nitro Tuggle, holding on to Sakobi White. I think that they feel very good about holding on to Sakobi White. He's had perfect attendance at Sanford Stadium so far this season. With Nitro Tuggle, obviously him moving back to Indiana, there's some, you know, with Notre Dame being so close in proximity, they're going to try and recruit him. Georgia feels pretty good about holding on to him right now, but I think first and foremost, hold on to the guys that you've got so that you don't have to even further play damage control at the receiver position. But really, I mean, like I said, Kip, I'm kind of miffed right now in terms of what I think this receiver class looks like when December gets here. Yeah, I think we're going to have to have uh, Georgia looking to see whether some of the other guys they have offered, how those guys are progressing uh, their senior season. But you know, similar to, I guess, maybe the defensive line, I think this is going to be a position that probably on an annual basis, Georgia's looking at the transfer portal to see if they can, you know, get some additions to the roster. You know, we've already seen them find success at that position in the transfer portal. And, and yeah, you, you look at NICAR and you have to understand that that position is really at the forefront of NIL recruiting right now. And the you know programs that are heavily involved in just recruiting using NIL at the high school level, those programs are going to make moves for wide receivers. And the fact that, uh, uh, from what I read, I think Miami was already at Colquitt County this morning. They're, you know, Monday morning being at the school, they're they're trying to make a move with this receiver and see if they can get an elite guy. And I think that's going to continue to kind of be an annual struggle, not just for Georgia, but for any program to hold on to those wide receiver commits. And I mean, he was tearing it up uh, this season. He uh, thought he was going to be a guy that was, you know, already severely underrated by the recruiting industry, but I thought he was going to skyrocket in the rankings and probably his recruitment was going to heat up and, and here we are and it has. So whether Miami's the school that ultimately lands him or, you know, Florida state or still Georgia's going to try to be involved. I just think that's going to be an aspect of wide receiver recruitments. It's going to present an extra set of uh, challenges for Georgia, but at the same time, uh, the offense, they're throwing the ball more than they, they've ever done before. They're going to be able to still make that pitch to wide receivers that you're going to get the ball at Georgia. And I think that's going to help when you see guys like Ra Ra Thomas and Dominic Lovett having success, it's going to help them 
in the transfer portal this offseason. So big hit to the high school, uh, you know, commitment list. Might not be a huge loss as far as just the roster composition moving forward because I think Georgia will make sure they land another wide receiver. It's going to figure out if it's going to be a high school guy or if they're going to save that spot for the portal. That's where recruiting is these days. And I, I wrote about this earlier today, too, I think, and just to address the elephant in the room as it relates, not just to Nikar, just in general, the receiver position is a valuable position when it comes to the NIL world that we live in. I mean, behind quarterback, it's probably the most marketable, marketable position in terms of immediate impact, freshmen coming in and already having that NIL value. And because of that, that has impacted the way that that position group is being recruited. And we know that Georgia sometimes has different NIL philosophies than other programs. And so they're going to have to learn to coexist in that world. And I think it's not to say that the transfer receiver market is necessarily different. It's just that I think when guys enter the transfer portal, one, you've now seen a little bit of additional proven tape. You're not looking at high school tape. You're looking at true college tape that you maybe trust a little bit more. And two, I think that when guys enter the transfer portal from programs, and we'll just use the examples that we know of with Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas, when they're coming from programs like Missouri, like Mississippi State, they've been able to put forth film. They've been able to put up numbers, but they might have different motivations for wanting to come to a program like Georgia. They might want to be going up against the top defense every single day in practice. In Ra Ra Thomas's case, obviously, it was a big offensive shift that he was making, and it was going to set him up more for the NFL game being in a pro style system like Georgia. And so I think Georgia will be able to evaluate transfer receivers in a way that is a little bit different because the priorities of some of those transfer receivers might be a little bit different than guys who haven't gone to the college level yet at all. And so I think that's why that's a position group I see, especially with the success. And again, it's small sample size, but I think we've seen enough from Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas to say they are going to be factors in this Georgia offense all season long and that happened immediately you didn't have to wait you didn't have to develop you didn't have to figure that out they came into the program with multiple years of eligibility and are immediately major you know snap getters on the offense and so because of that I think that Georgia's learning through this era that might be one of the approaches you have to take at that position group definitely something to monitor not only do you have those transfers but they they got three really talented freshmen in this past class and tyler williams zed haynes anthony evans you know that will help uh, going forward when you consider depth and and what you want to do at the position in the uh, years to come uh, before we get out of here at georgia men's basketball minute uh, it is the start of Georgia men's basketball practice uh, on Monday. Had a chance to go out, watch some practice. Actually, when we get done recording this podcast, going to go write a story about what I saw and what stood out. Had a chance to talk to Mike White, Jabri Abdur-Rahim, Justin Hill as well. Um, very interesting. You know, I, I was telling Ben before we started recording uh, that Mike White was asked about the NCAA tournament today. And he said that, you know, he talks to this team about that goal. And he said that's not something he's done in the past with past teams, whether it was the one last year at Georgia at the ones uh, at Florida before that. Um, and he talked about a big reason for why he has done that with this team so far is the experience they have with the transfers coming in, with the four guys they got coming back from last year's team. Um, it, it really sounds like they see it as a legitimate goal. And, you know, I think Mike has coached long, uh, long enough and been around enough uh, to know to be careful when it comes to setting those expectations because every obviously 
everybody wants to go to the NCAA tournament. Everybody wants that to be a goal. Uh, but you think about just how cutthroat the SEC is, how tough it is, and, uh, you know, having really good teams like a Vanderbilt last year who was really good and just didn't quite make it uh, into the tournament. It's very, very difficult. But uh, everybody seems to be really excited about this team. Uh, Jabri told us that he felt like this was the closest team he's ever been on. Um, they talked a lot about the trip to Italy being a, a big catalyst and really getting this team to know each other, to get comfortable around each other. Um, and there was a lot to like from what we saw in practice. Again, I would recommend you guys keep an eye out, and I'll write about that. Um, but uh, I like the vibes going into this season. It's going to be tough with the non-conference slate they've got, You know, playing teams like Oregon, Miami, uh, either Kansas State or Providence in that Bahamas tournament. Uh, it's going to be very difficult, but uh, – I would say uh, that there is some excitement around the team. I think they were ready to get to work today, and uh, it's going to be really fascinating following this team as they get closer and closer to the season. I'm going to call it. I, I think Mike White's going to live up to that goal. I think they're making the NCAA tournament, and that's as someone who did not watch practice today. So I'll defer to Jordan on actually seeing the basketball that was seen today, but I'm just going to call the shot. I think they make the tournament. I think it's possible. I do think it's possible. To me, what I've told people, I see them finishing in that 8 to 10 range in the SEC, and that's prime for getting in the tournament. Now, to me, the goal that I've really set is NIT, that I think that is very realistic, and, and I think it would be fair to be disappointed if they don't go that far. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. They've got to figure out who the scorers on this team are going to be. We'll say Justin Hill, very, very impressed with what I've seen and just what I've heard getting ready for this season. Uh, but I don't think that's a long shot uh, to make the tournament, but uh, they got to win the right games, and they're going to have to win some of these really, really tough non-conference games to really bump up that resume. Uh, on that note, we are going to wrap up this episode. I appreciate everyone who tuned in. Appreciate Kip and Ben for popping on with us. Uh, appreciate all you who watch this live, everyone who is listening to this after the fact. Be sure, if you haven't already, to go to dogs247.com and subscribe. All kinds of good VIP content on there, especially as we get, you know, really diving headfirst into SEC playing it ready for the rest of the fall. Also, make sure and go to Dogs247 on YouTube. Uh, got player interviews, got these podcasts, uh, and now got men's basketball content that's quite literally uploading as we record this. So, I uh, got all kinds of good stuff over there. Uh, again, I want to plug on Thursday, 12 p.m. Eastern time, I will have Auburn Undercover's Nathan King on, and uh, we're going to talk uh, Deep South Soldiers rivalry, look at this game, and we'll see what we think is going to happen between the Bulldogs and the Tigers. Until then, we are going to be out of here and make sure we uh, get a lot of content up, a lot of stories to write in these next few days. For Kip Adams and Ben Wolf, I am Jordan Hill, and until next time, take care, everybody.